Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of The Fourth Leg, a tabletop gaming podcast about giving you a leg to stand on. My name's Hunter, and I'm joined by Joe and Kelsey, our regular co-hosts, and we have our first guest of the series, Nick. Nick, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Nick, and that was the smoothest intro I've ever heard. That was amazing. Okay, yeah, my name is Nick. <clears throat> I'm not as smooth as that, though, but uh, hopefully I'll have some good opinions about RPGs and stuff. I don't know, man. I could listen to your smooth, dulcet tones, like, all afternoon. Ooh, thank you. So this is now a compliment podcast. Uh, yes. Everybody. Be prepared for the, for the next 30 minutes. We are going to excessively compliment each other. We expect you to send compliments to us on Twitter and email. Uh, I'm just kidding. At the fourth leg. Everybody, <laughs> just tag us. It'll work. I love all please, of you. Please, please. <laughs> Good. Aw. Welcome to the party. <laughs> So now, in a little bit of uh, uh, 180 from there, our fun facts this week are going to be guilty pleasures that we have. Yes! Uh, so oh, I'm, I'm going to start us off. Uh, my guilty pleasure, since it was introduced to me by an ex-girlfriend in high school, are cheesy YA romance novels specifically written by Sarah Dessen. Good. What? I don't even know who Sarah Nesson is. Oh my gosh. I've worked at a public library for years, and I would see her books on the shelves all the time. I know who this is. Yeah. They're not good, but I love them all the same. (laughs) All right. Whoever wants to go next, take up the torch. I can go next? Okay. So... I own my pleasures, so they're not necessarily guilty, but I will say the one that other people may watch and cringe about is this, like, a terrible, deliberately terrible horror movie called Camp Out. It's it's Camp Out with a K at the start. It was a little indie film recorded in Athens, Ohio. I found out about it through an indie comic con that I went to called The Rathacon. Yes, that's the name of the convention. And the direct, I bought the DVD from the director, and I do not know how he managed to get one of the actors from Gremlins in on the project, but he somehow (laughs) did. And the, yeah, the, the basic pitch of this movie is, what if Bigfoot was a murderer? Okay. It has terrible, terrible acting, and I love it to pieces. I, I love that you just like yeah I went out and bought the DVD like that's that's how important this is to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was the only way to get the movie. I had never heard of the movie until I went to the convention and they had like an entire booth and like a canvas hang up behind their table with like the silhouette of Bigfoot and the movie logo across the back <laughs> and I was like this looks interesting. I know. <laughs> oh, that's so lovely. Like listen, oh I'm here. God. It's here. It's happening. Dude, I'm still getting over these Sarah Dessen book titles. The Truth About Forever. <laughs> oh, man. I'm what? going to look these up later. What happened yes. to Goodbye? To episode one of the Sarah Dessen fan cast. Dude, I'm going to I am gonna put as many of these book titles into my conversation as possible. Uh, and, and, see if, and see if Hunter catches any of them. Yeah, I'm getting this. This is, this is happening once and for all. <laughs> Bro, lock and key? Lock and key is the shit. It's okay, guys. I'm just along for the ride. Uh, oh, man. Okay. Uh, so my guilty pleasure. Uh, so I'm a huge superhero fan, and I was really excited when I found out as a kid that they were going to make a movie about the Shadow, like old-time radio hero, The Shadow. And boy, is that 1994 The Shadow film god-awful with Alan <laughs> Baldwin. Like, it's super enjoyable. I love, like, period superheroes, so... The Rocketeer, Captain America, The Shadow, but it, that The Shadow movie is awful. That that practical effects, like de- flying dagger, is is horribly outdated. Did not age well at all. I'm gonna have to watch this. Oh my god. Well, I'm sure it's on YouTube for free somewhere because it's it's just that bad. Oh my god! You know what though? I, I have <laughs> okay. So YouTube has Buckaroo Bonsai. I need uh. to watch Buckaroo Bonsai so bad. Okay, yeah, so that's a good one. Yeah. Oh, man. I've been wanting to watch that for years. I'm introduced to a whole new world right now. This is, this is why you picked us. Yes. Oh, that's what we're here for. I love it. I think 
we should have special episode bad movie watch alongs. Ooh, that could be fun. Let's do it. Or com- like movie commentary. Oh, that would be so much fun. I am down for this. That could be very fun. It sounds like a, a Patreon exclusive. Yeah, I would just listen to that. <laughs> Back us on Patreon today. I'm just kidding. Oh man, we don't have a Patreon. But if you're interested in hearing a movie podcast with us watching bad movies, tell us you want us to make a Patreon. <laughs> Let us know. We will block out time of our schedule to watch terrible films and comment on them. Absolutely. If you reach the next tier, guys, we will actually have Hunter read a chapter from a Sarah Dustin book while Kelsey and I uh, watch on with horror. I will dramatically read along. Yes, play I th- you you will watch on and ho- you will watch on in horror. I will watch on in glee. Utter I will. utter glee. I'm here for Sarah Dustin book club. Oh man. Oh boy. So, my guilty pleasure is that I think for maybe like eight, maybe nine months solid, I've had Kiss from a Rose stuck in my head by Seal, and I was I sing it to myself every time I feel upset. That was the banner song of Batman Returns. Feel no shame, sir. I, no lie, had that song stuck in my head all day today leading up to this podcast. <laughs> I haven't listened to that song in years. Oh, man. Stop humming, we'll get copyright stricken. Oh no, my bad. (laughs) So it's alright. Stop, stop. Hunter can cut it out. Take it in post. Is it parody? No, it's too good. It's too good. You can't take it. You can't take it away. (laughs) Oh Oh, man. man. Well. It just reminds me of that summer, you know. Oh man. Oh no. I don't even know what summer you're talking about. I've gotten five of these books titled in so far, so good luck finding them, Hunter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i i honestly i have a list of them open but there are so many that i don't know if i'm gonna be able to keep up with you <laughs> i don't know i think that's my last chance take a drink oh yes can we do that this is a drinking game go back to the beginning every time you hear a sarah Destin title just take a shot uh, yeah <laughs> Maybe do half shots because we don't want you to die. Yeah, we're not responsible for any damage. Oh God, no! You want to uh, you want to talk about a fun drinking game night? Just okay. There's an anime called. Oh no. it, there's an anime called Metropolis. It is based on an Osamu Tetsuka oh no. comic that was like no joke, abandoned before it could finish, and the director was like, <laughs> "I'm gonna find a way to finish this." And I'll give it this, it's gorgeously animated, but you could make a drinking game out of how absolutely nonsensical that movie is. So it's actually based on a super (laughs) old uh, foreign language movie. The funny thing about the anime Metropolis is that Osamu Tetsuka took one look at the poster for the original Metropolis movie Mm -hmm. and went, hmm, I'm going to make a story based on the imagery of that. And then he went (laughs) off and did his own thing. That doesn't surprise me. I didn't even know the rest of the story. Uh -uh. Well, our topic for the day. (laughs) (laughs) Drag us back on track. Can we not all just sing Kiss from a Rose together? No, we can't. Uh, Our topic today is going to be all about maps and tactile gaming. So, maps, minis, drawings, letters, things like that that you can uh, give to your players to experience that could enrich your tabletop gaming experience. I said experience a lot there, but you know what? Experience is important in games. Yeah. Um, As uh, somebody who makes art for a living, and that's how I pay my bills, I have a lot of thoughts on this. All right, well, why don't you kick us off, Kelsey? Uh, What do you think about tactile gaming? Okay, I'm going to set aside the maps and minis and stuff for a second. I will get to that, but first thing that I want to mention is if you have the artistic skill to be able to draw up characters or monsters, I would encourage you to do it. Because that was something that a lot of my players really liked whenever I DM'd, was they knew that I was a comic artist for a living. And I was like, you know what though? I want to draw some of these things that my players are going to encounter. So I would like draw the environments that they would be adventuring into 
if I knew that was where they were going. Sometimes I would draw up monsters that they would encounter. There were other times that I drew up some like non-player characters that they would interact with. Uh, I still have a bunch of that art on my hard drive. There's there's a little critter that I drew that was basically a little bush with a mask and little chicken legs. Oh, ooh. Yeah, his name is Pom. Oh, oh, I love very that. Very cool. I would die for him. That's adorable. Yes, he he's pre- He talks like this. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's and also, also character voices. Um, I love doing character voices, but I do know that it's not something that every DM is comfortable with. Like, I had a DM who did not do voice acting because he was like a chain smoker, and it would strain his voice really bad if he went into character voices. So he just didn't do it. And that's entirely fair. And that's entirely fair. But I find it useful and helpful and super more rewarding just making the art and engaging with the players with stuff like that. Like, having the art there and having like even little props that the players would interact with to be like Mm -hmm. ah yes you open up a chest and you find this scroll and you hand over a scroll and it's like the actual (laughs) thing that's in the campaign (laughs) yeah absolutely props are so much fun Mm -hmm. we found my wife's engagement ring in one of our dungeons (gasps) that is so cool She'll, she's gonna hate that I told the entire planet about that, but like, <laughs> oh, or, that, or whoever is listening, <laughs> the whole planet. Well, when we uh, achieve worldwide fame, seven billion downloads an episode, and world domination, then she can be angry. Fair yeah. enough. By the way, uh, Seal's Kiss from Rose will be number one on the charts again. And we will enforce the International Sarah Desson Book Club. Uh, true utopia. <laughs> I, for one, welcome our robot overlords. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Desinism will be the new world religion. <laughs> oh, man. We're going to take that one to the moon. I'll, I'll have to and buy more. so many books, I'll be destitute. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm loving all these title drops. Just oh, randomly uh-huh. dispersed throughout. It's great. Uh, I would like to point out, mostly because I had a player who had this issue, sometimes having a map is super handy for people who don't necessarily have the neurotypical capacity to envision a space, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Like, this guy had a hard time picturing things in his mind so he would have to have the maps and the minis out so that he could see what was going on because like he loved being a character he loved the game and he loved all of the maps and the stats and stuff he just could not imagine it because his brain was not capable of doing that i ran a one shot just last night um and one of the players was relatively new and i had made the decision it's going to be theater of the mind Uh, just because I don't really have time to draw up five different maps and source minis and things like that. Um, So I was like, it's going to be theater of the mind. I'll keep all the battlefields really simple. But even with that in play, one of the players was like trying to sketch out the maps and constantly asking where everything was in relation to one another. And she was so focused on the hard math of distance Mm -hmm. that theater of the mind did not work for her um so i get what you're saying absolutely yeah there are some people that it just doesn't uh click unless there is something to visualize yeah and it it could be because of like a neurological deficit or it could be that Mm -hmm. they've just not exercised that muscle a super duper bunch like it varies from person to person I tend to, if I'm doing a theater of the mind and I have somebody who's having that particular problem, I generally tend to use sound as the distance. Instead of saying, oh, this person's 50 feet away, Mm -hmm. think about the level of your voice that you need to actually reach out and talk to them. Um, So if I have to scream at somebody, they're probably really far away. But if I can whisper whisper to them, then, you know, I might be, like, really close. That's actually a a good workaround for that and could be really handy if you get all of the players in on that 
Well, it's like distance measurements. So a lot of people will say, you know, I'm five to ten miles away from point A to point B. Yeah, what does that mean? Growing up in, I have no idea. Growing up in Texas, it was all, yeah, you're two minutes away. Yeah. You're ten minutes away. Or it's an hour drive. Yeah, I feel like this is a uniquely American thing, because I remember talking with, like, some British and Swedish, like, exchange students, and they would measure distance by mileage or kilometers, but Mm -hmm. we Americans measure things by, like, how much time it takes to get there. That's because we can go 60 miles per hour to most places. Fact. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're not wrong. And then you go out to El Paso, Texas, and it's like 90 mile an hour freeways. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that was the one thing that kind of terrified me going through the Texas panhandle, because I've driven to Arizona like four times from Ohio, because I'm a long distance person. That that was a little terrifying, going through the panhandle at like 90 miles <laughs> yeah. an hour. I was like, I was not made for this. I was not made for this. I've been passed at 100 miles an hour on the panhandle before. Uh, so whenever you're in Texas, your maps are measured in time. That's what I'm understanding. Yeah, you got it. Hey, yeah, if you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, everything's, you know, 20 to 30 minutes away. Exactly. Beautiful. Uh, that being said, uh, since none of us are from the Dallas or Fort Worth area, Nick, why don't you tell us your thoughts on maps? Yeah, I think, well, the first thing I want to say is like a complaint. We should be playing more games with hex grids. I'm just throwing yes. it You're there. one of those people. Yeah. Oh. I am. And I'm not ashamed of it. You know what? I am one of those people. Are, are oh, you saying this with disdain? Oh, hex grids. I think that's an opinion you should keep under lock and key. Hex grids are, w- wait, that they're good or that they're bad? Doesn't matter. It's a Sarah Dessen title. Oh. oh my god. Oh, mark your scorecards, kids. Deafened again. Oh, Damn it. Dec- decimated. Hard <laughs> quick death in my conversation. Oh. Anyway, hex grids, carry on. Well, in like traditional RPGs, hex grids give you a wider range of movement. And I just, I like that. I like to be able to go left and right at the same time. Just throwing that out there. Oh, wait, not left and right. Left and up at the same time. My bad. It's, it's called a diagonal. Yeah. <laughs> and you can do that, but it's just not the same. Because the second time you go diagonal, it's 10 feet. So. Not, not in the current edition. Really? Oh, boy. Yeah. In the older editions, you're correct. But uh, not in the... Uh... Hunter... So I'm going to steal a saying from a good friend of mine from the Raw and Order podcast, Joe, not this Joe, another Joe, and say it's DM's discretion because I really don't want to dig into the rules and look it up right now. You've been cheating on me with another Joe? I've been cheating on you with another Joe. <sighs> I know, we're, we're just we're dropping all kinds of scandals today, Joe. Like, what is this podcast coming to? <laughs> Ugh really hurt and that's the rest of the story <laughs> oh ah it's another death in mark it on your bingo cards <laughs> look just listen it's oh. not you it's me <laughs> you had to try to jam two in <laughs> i love how everyone's just along oh, for the ride on this yes i have no Fox. idea but i know when i i know when i hear them it's the inflection in the voice. It's like pornography. I couldn't define it for you, but I know when I see it. <laughs> Sir, I was drinking tea. <laughs> oh, God. I think, okay, my next oh, thought no. is I just wanted to complain about hex grids, but my serious point um, that I would like to bring to the table is that I think tabletop stuff of, like, any caliber or degree uh, creates narrative ownership in a game. And uh, my my favorite example of that is when I decided to give a painted mini to my friend Peter for his uh, birthday. And he was playing a bard at the time, and I painted this really cool mini, and I, like, literally looked up on the internet how to color blend so that I could make, like, that cool red-black guitar finish on the, on the, the loop itself. It was awesome. And uh, before then, like, before I'd given it to him, he was not that up and about his character. And then I gave him this mini, 
and it was like, whoa, I can't wait to put this on the table and play this character. And I know that it was important because literally that session that he had that mini, his character died. Oh! <laughs> oh! So it's a, it's a, now that you're a part of the community, if you commission art for a character or order a really expensive or a nice painted mini, uh, it's pretty much a kiss of death. That's very true. Yeah. I did not know that until I murdered <laughs> Peter's character. I did not know that that was a general rule of thumb. Good lord, how many characters have I accidentally killed? <laughs> you monster, drawing people's characters at their request for money. All of those commissions! <laughs> Dead characters left and right. <laughs> I'm basically an artistic hitman! <laughs> I don't know how you live being someone like you. Oh, boy. Here we go. I mean, fairly well. I mean, I have a cup of tea, so... There you go. The real tea is hex grids. <laughs> or diagonal holdovers from old editions. What is this conversation devolving into? Sarah Dessen references, mostly. Art. I tend to bring chaos where I go, and I apologize for that. Why, why are you apologizing? <laughs> I'm having fun. Well, because yes. I, have, I have more no, great things to talk about when it comes to ownership on the table, you know, like... I think it's really important. Not everybody can make really cool um, D&D stuff. When I started, I mean, I was just, like, using tester paints and, like, making a little dude. But my first mm -hmm. D&D character, I painted a Canadian sh flag over the shield of the character. And, like, I just, I don't know, it brought everything to life for me. And it does, it, I still have that many. It doesn't look good. Pieces of it have broken off. But, like, mm -hmm. I still, with fondness, remember that character. Um, so Perhaps. even if you're just like, you know, like you got a 3D printer or you're not that great at painting or whatever it is, like go get a battle mat and, mm -hmm. and draw it out because that, I think it creates kind of like a, a love for what you're doing. I, I think it's great. Props yeah. to you for freehanding that flag, by the way. Uh, a lot mm -hmm. of my stuff looked like, uh, there's a, there's a meme of... Leonardo DiCaprio from Titanic, and she's like, paint me like one of your miniatures. <laughs> and the next, the next frame is her, like, all googly-eyed. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't good until I looked up stuff on YouTube. I could really recommend some great YouTube artists that'll teach you how to paint minis, and they'll look great, but, man, just put some, put some paint on something, make something out of Play-Doh, like, whatever it is, like, make what you can, draw what you can with what you have. And, and love it, you know. Even if you just put a whiteboard on top of a uh, on top of a table, and draw mm -hmm. your space, man. Put some lines down. You'll love it. It'll feel totally different. I have a bias because I love drawing and I love putting pen to paper and but not even just pen to paper. Like anything to do with making things with my hands, I love doing it. Um, that said, don't judge me for this. I have never painted a mini in my life. Oh, we gotta paint minis. We gotta paint minis. Comment in a tweet or email and let us know if you want us to do a live stream of that. I'm just kidding. Hashtag once and for all for every. For all. <laughs> <laughs> I got our title drop. Mark your scorecards, kids. Oh God. You'd never edit them all out. I was gonna say the real question is uh, how many hundred counts when he edits this episode. <laughs> oh, I'll put it at the end. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I I hope you all took twenty-seven shots of alcohol. I have tallied these. So. Oh God. <laughs> that I've it's made. A, it's a game now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, if we can get to five hundred dollars a month on Patreon, <laughs> we will hire Sarah Dessen to write a book about this podcast. Dude, can we can we hire Sarah Dessen to GM a game for us? So, so there are some power by the apocalypse systems like Monster Hearts and stuff like that. I'm mm -hmm. just saying. Is this the goal of the podcast now? Is to get Sarah Dessen to GM a romance game for us? Oh, we could go to we could go to <laughs> uh, Passion de los Passions, the the Spanish uh, soap opera game. Telenovela. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh my god! I didn't even know this was a game I needed in my life. It's real life. Oh, I. I love it so much. Once again, bringing it back onto the topic, Joe. Yeah. Maps. How do you how do you map? 
Okay, so first, when we started talking about uh, this episode, uh, so I kind of went, like, surface level. Like, okay, what is a map? So it's it's a symbolic depiction emphasizing relationships between elements of space. So, like, objects, regions, themes, things like that. So with, you know, with any game, like, do you need a map? Not necessarily, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue yes. The level of detail is necessitated by the type of game you're playing. So, like, if you're playing something where grid movement is very important, like 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, then you're going to want a very granular map where your grids are lined out and all that stuff. Or hexes. Exactly. I uh, don't want to discriminate against the hex people, uh, even though you know who you are. The hex people. Excited. You, you know what, though? I might just, because we were talking about constructing, like, campaigns, I might mm-hmm. just have to construct a campaign using hex grids. A hex system. Oh, God. Yes. The hero systems out there, people. Um, but, so, the, the big thing about maps, uh, to me, is that maps are about orientation just as much as they are navigation. As people in our normal lives, we use maps to get from point A to point B. If you're going to a restaurant you've never been to before, you pull up Google Maps, Apple Maps, whatever. You plug in the uh, the address and you go. In more abstract games, like, say, Powered by the Apocalypse or Fate, maps or pictures kind of help inform the world, uh, either as a player or a GM. So, like, if you're a GM, you're looking at the map and you're like, okay, is there water nearby this area? Okay, so there, this is going to be like a fishing or shipping hub. Uh, you know, are, is there another city that's nearby? Okay, are they fighting over, like, a mine or a forest, like, some kind of resources? Uh, and then kind of you can evaluate your travel. Like, you know, is it through a mountain range so it's difficult to get trade? Uh, things like that. Uh, you don't have to have, like, a super painstakingly crafted map. Uh, there are some fantastic tools out there, Incarnate being one of them, uh, or some incredibly talented individuals uh, on the tabletop RPG space uh, yeah. who can draw some awesome maps but if you can at least convey like the the general setup of the area so like hey you know here are these countries that are at war if you think of a lot of like big sweeping narratives they have those like cuts to like a screen where there's the map and there's like okay well this is this country and this is what they're about you know big rpgs or even action games the dynasty warriors games and things like that they have a lot of those uh, and it's something that kind of informs the setup of the world. To your point about, like, drawing up maps and not having them needing to be super detailed, I don't really do super detailed maps. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, whenever I draw out a map, it's on a whiteboard with dry erase marker, and it's the most basic of shapes. Everything else that I want to convey to the players, I do so with description and theater of the imagination, but largely description. I try to, like describe the scene this is largely because when i first started dming matthew mercer was the person in my mind (laughs) that i had in mind being a dm i was like okay i need to i need to channel my inner dm uh the only model that i've seen is matthew mercer so what would he do that's rough buddy i know (laughs) don't set your sights low or anything yeah (laughs) (laughs) i will say uh all things considered I like to think that I do a fairly good job of describing things. Like, I especially like the challenges sometimes on Twitter, since I've gotten back on Twitter. Some people will be like, hey, describe a dark cavern without using the word dark. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, ooh, okay, I can do this. (laughs) So, like, exercises like that I find super valuable Mm -hmm. in painting a picture. Absolutely. I think, to the Matthew Mercer point, this is actually something that i don't see a lot of people talk about if you go back and you watch when they first started streaming critical role mm-hmm. like back in 2015 mm-hmm. it, it wasn't this grand production no and even matt's narration wasn't this huge sweeping epic every single time they walked into a different room yeah critical role's production value has skyrocketed over the past six years or so yep but if you look back on those early episodes all of the maps are pencil sketches on graph paper. Yeah. And all of the descriptions are really basic and utilitarian. Yeah. So if you're going to try to model yourself as a new GM off of somebody like Matt Mercer, try to do early streaming Matt Mercer where it's a little bit more grassroots. Yeah. Because you don't need to drop hundreds of dollars on map or, you know, wall foam pieces mm-hmm. for every single thing, you know? 
Next thing you're going to tell us is storytelling is a narrative skill that requires practice and experience to get better <laughs> at. We shouldn't be discouraged if we feel at a lack for words because it just takes time to get better at things. Like, come on. Oh, no. You either have it or you don't. So I come from a family of storytellers, so I'm a little biased in this regard. But storytelling totally is a skill that you can get better at. <laughs> Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, everything. I think, in my opinion, most things are, like, practicable skills. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that mm-hmm. that's a pet peeve of mine as somebody who makes art for a living. Like, you cannot, mm-hmm. you cannot fathom the amount of, like, suburban moms that come up to me, and they're like, you're so gifted! And I'm like, no, this is just years of practice. Like, it's flattering, but it's years of practice. That's why I think you shouldn't be upset with what you make. I think, like, as a as somebody who I don't make a lot of art, I'm not going to say that I'm an artistic person, uh, but, you know, I, I do try to regularly make kind of, like, content, and I play music not for other people to hear, but for myself. <laughs> I think when you make something, you automatically become one of the biggest critics towards it, or at least that's how Absolutely. my personality is. I'm immediately, yeah. like, I notice everything that I mess up. You know, you paint your mini... And then you mess up the feet, but you put, like, a little tuft of grass on the base, and it covers up the mess up, and the other was like, wow, and you're like, yeah, but I messed up the feet. I know. Yeah, it's the whole seeing the forest for the trees issue, because, like, you are in there up looking at one specific tree, and the audience is looking at the forest, as yeah. it were. Mm-hmm. Make something. It's beautiful. I promise you, I will be impressed. Tweet it to me. Um just put it on my Facebook page. I'll love it. I'll I'll love it no matter what. Probably. Plugs at the end. Plugs at the end. Plugs at the end. Uh, but <laughs> you know what? Since we're talking about creative things and storytelling and things like that, I feel like now would be a good point to bring up something that was given to me as advice when I first started drawing caricatures, because I drew caricatures at amusement parks for like three Ooh. years. Yeah, fun fact about me, y'all. So cool. one of the things that the instructors... Uh, encouraged us to do was to keep drawing because as they put it you're gonna draw 10,000 really bad faces before you get to your first good one so crank out those 10,000 faces as quick as you can just to get it out of the way to correlate that that I think can tie into maps minis painting a picture with your words the more that you practice those things, the better that you will get at those things. I think that's even true for, like, yeah. plotting out your, your campaign. You can throw 20, uh, 20 ideas at paper and one or mm-hmm. two maybe will stick, and that's, that's fine. That's okay. Absolutely. Like, campaign one of Critical Role, not super narratively dense. Like, at all. Especially not compared to Campaign 2. Did you ever listen to the Honey Heist episodes? Because what are you talking about? <laughs> I love the Honey Heist episodes, but they are they are not necessarily Shakespeare levels of intrigue. You take that back. <laughs> How dare you? Um, here you guys are debating, waxing poetic about different uh, arcs, and I'm just like, yeah, cool, Crick Rolls a thing. Just all you have to yeah. do is listen to the Honey Heist episodes. That's all you need, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Like... <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Honey Heist can pretty much tell you everything that you need to know. I, well, I think everything kind of takes... That's just sort of how my, my life philosophy works. If I want to get better at doing push-ups, then you get to practice push-ups or driving mm-hmm. or talking yep. to other people or mm-hmm. telling a story or putting paint on something. I mean, just just practice, you know? It's, yeah. You can you can um, you can be proud of progress rather than what you've actually made. I think it's it's more important in my just in my opinion. If I may add, this was a big barrier for me when I first started being a DM. Was I was on a super tight budget. I could not mm-hmm. spend lots of money on miniatures or fancy tubes to store roll-up maps or even dm screens if you're starting in D D 5e in particular the books are like 50 bucks a pop and not everybody's comfortable enough to do that kind of thing this is why you should support indie because there's mm-hmm. lots of indie books out there that are like five bucks or less that's true yes yeah. absolutely yeah um i actually have a copy of a indie ttrpg laser kittens we have to find a way to play Ooh. this at some point. It's 
It's adorable. You're a kitten in a foster home, and you shoot lasers out of your eyes. That's the game. I'm here for it. Yeah, and I got it at uh, Pittsburgh Indie Comics Fest for, like, ten bucks. I have, like, nine different TTRPG systems on my shelf, Uh and, like, five of them I picked up for less than ten dollars through half-price books. Nice. I mean, it's out there. You just have to keep your eye open for it. And, you know, all of our discussions so far, we've made the assumption that we're playing in person. Yes. But there are plenty of free systems. In my experience, I'm playing a campaign on Roll20 right now. It's completely free. I have paid $0, and I have made maps. I have brought in character models. I have brought in different landscapes, uh, character sheets, everything like that. And it's a little bit of work because you have to source the images and then it's, you know, downloading and uploading and this and that and keeping everything in track and switching between tabs. But you don't need to spend money to make maps. Right. No. So, you know, keep in mind your free resources wherever they're available. Yeah. Um, A good resource for if you need, like, free resources for particularly D&D stuff. Uh, The Dungeon Coach has a video where he talks about that sort of thing and talks about apps uh roll 20 was a mm-hmm. featured one but he talks about other ones too i am not mm-hmm. gonna lie my favorite dice game like my favorite ttrpg is um the genesis system i love it i it was you know it had star wars on it and i was like mm-hmm. oh i want a gm and it was like star wars age rebellion it was beautiful so i got it i read it when i broke my leg i was like i got nothing to do read it and i started <laughs> gming that game and it is all 100% uh, theory of imagination. Like, mm-hmm. just, it's all in your head. And so nice. I primarily play that way. As mm-hmm. as a DM for that game, or sorry, as a GM for that game, I have so many really crappy maps just drawn all over my campaign notes. Like, actually, most of my campaign notes are just maps that are drawn out because just having a, a spatial recognition of, of what's going on, where the players are, um, mm-hmm. is important, right? I have one, yeah. I have this one thing where they were doing a, uh, they're basically flying speeders through a race. Mm-hmm. You know, and it wouldn't make, you know, they did three laps. And could you imagine if I made up the first lap and then just started, like, making stuff up? You know, it's much more important that the players can pay attention to the races they go through it, the obstacles. And then when they go for the second and third lap, they start coming up with these ideas and like creating ways to solve the problems that I've already drawn out. And if I hadn't mm-hmm. written those, then uh, it could have been a real problem, even just in personal notes. Having some kind of map or recognition of, of where they are is, mm-hmm. uh, is critically important. Yeah. Uh, some of my favorite maps were actually in Titan's Grave, the Ashes of Volcana, because of how much thought they put into the maps and where the districts were in some parts of the campaign. I will say, though, for folks who are like, but I don't know how to build a city, I'll give you some real-life examples. Uh, Pittsburgh and Boston, the people who designed those cities did not know how to design cities either. So if they can design those cities, you can design whatever fantasy city that you want. Have you ever seen Texas highways? You don't need to know how to make things make sense. (laughs) Oh, just do it another loop. It'll be fine. Yeah. Four-leaf clovers are cool. Man drives through San Antonio one time. He's never the same again. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. So, yeah, you you don't need to be, like, an expert city planner or anything. Just put stuff on a map. This does bring a, a an interesting thought, and I've I've always viewed uh, tabletop games this way, and that's how important your maps are is based on how crunchy your system is mechanically, right? Oh, that's true. That. I've viewed CTRPGs. Uh, I call it the peanut butter scale. And on one end, you have creamy peanut butter, right? This is your more narrative-focused theater of the mind. You don't really need anything tactile because it's all in your head. And then the crunchy peanut butter, a lot of rules for combat, a lot of you really need to pay attention to where you are. This is your D&D 5Es. And, you know, most RPGs are going to fall onto that scale, right? One-page RPGs are a different beast. I'm not going to talk about them. But 
you know, if your they're date jelly. is on that creamy end, yeah, they're jelly. <laughs> they're they're totally different <laughs> rules. Uh, but if your game falls more on the creamy side of the peanut butter scale, then your map isn't as important because it's all like, I do this. Okay, cool. Whereas if it's more on the crunchy scale, like a D&D 5e or a Pathfinder, then you're going to want something to reference. So whether that be a map or a city plan or even just notes of dialogue mm -hmm. so that you can keep track of everything that's important in your head because one missed nut in that crunchy peanut butter can bring your entire plan crumbling down. It can ruin the sandwich, as it were. You can ruin the sandwich, as it were. <laughs> you know, in D&D &D 5e, one space is the difference between a counterspell and a fireball. Mm -hmm. you know? that's true. So it, it's important to keep in mind. Yeah, sometimes I forget how very detailed D&D &D 5e can get, and even Pathfinder, like... Oh, Pathfinder's worse. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, it is. I've only played it a handful <laughs> of times. It is so much worse. Just crunch-wise. I mean, it's a better version of D&D 3.5, but D&D <laughs> is a very, very flawed system. All D&D is, but... I'm just thinking about the, the Witcher RPG that I have in my, in my shelf right now. Oh my god. I want to play yeah. that so bad. Really? Yeah. Do you do you really want to play? Do you want to roll to see which limb you hit, which can have an individual armor class, which you then roll for, but then the other person rolls for defense, and then you oh. find out who rolls over who, and then to what degree that damage does, so you go to a table that does a certain level of damage, and then from there you get to roll on that table to see what kind of damage you do, this is chunky almond peanut butter. <laughs> no, forget that. We're on salsa. No, no peanut butter. We're all the way to salsa now. Yeah, we're all the way to salsa. It's just a little spicy. I don't know. That whole... I think it would be a lot easier to just play a Star Wars RPG. You could just play the Empire, and your entire goal is keeping the moon. Fuck. Can I swear? Yes. Fuck yeah, you. Fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> Oh man, I'm ending this you once and for this. all. No more Sarah Dessen. <laughs> oh man. Or you could just, you know, if in that Star Wars RPG, you could just be the rebels, and then you'd just blow up the moon and more. <laughs> oh, wait, that's no moon. It was a space station. My bad. Please don't show Sarah. <laughs> I think we've done all of them. That's oh, impressive. I've done all of them multiple times. Uh, let's uh, let's bounce over to like other tangibles, like notes, uh, puzzles, letters, uh, journals, stuff, mini stuff like that. Uh, I know we talked a little bit about minis. I think they're a really good way to help represent characters, as far as like in space, like with, like we talked about with crunchy systems, as well as just kind of a frame of reference, like hey, what does this person look like? Uh, you know, what should we expect? I've actually moved away from physical miniatures because I've moved so many times in the last few years. Uh, I actually use a, whole, a round hole punch for like one inch or two inch miniatures Ooh. and then stick them on magnets and then with like a gel finish over the top. Ooh. And it's made my life a lot easier, uh, both as storage for all my minis and mm -hmm. the fact that you can literally make, oh, well, you know, this is... Rom, my tiefling fighter, and this is exactly what he looks like. So your PCs can look the exact way that they want to look. Yeah. And um, you have a lot of stuff kicking around to run with. I'm a huge tactile GM. Uh, I love artifacting letters and notes out. I can kick uh, Hunter some reference images that we can throw up in the notes if we want. But I love, like, edging, you know, like, making sure that my paper looks weathered, that my edges are rough because you know at that point we wouldn't have like paper cut as clean as we do now but letters and and even those notes and puzzles can really help a gm put the players in the moment like let them experience some of the things that their character's seeing like firsthand like hold the letter in their hands it's also a fun way to play around with players having secrets that the other players do not have or know uh, yeah. one, of, one of my favorite mm -hmm. things as a GM is keeping a stack of index cards by my mm -hmm. side. And if somebody makes like an insight check, 
or observe somebody very closely to judge their character or if they notice something in the environment and I don't want the rest of the party to know, I can like write it down on the index card and pass it over to them and be like, mm -hmm. this is what you notice. Yeah, and an important thing about tactile things rather than just verbal information is that it's a reference point for the players to go back to. Mm -hmm. uh, I am terrible about taking notes during a campaign. <laughs> How dare you? But I will... I will hold on to index cards for dear life and never lose them. So having something tactile really helps me as a player keep track of things that are going on. Have y'all ever bought a, uh, just like one of those like Japanese metal puzzle, whatever thingamajigs that you buy from Barnes and Noble? I've seen them. I haven't bought any. Oh man. Just, it's like five bucks. Pick one of those up and then, uh, go to your table next week and be like oh yeah you open up this thing and you find this and drop <laughs> one of those in the middle of your table and just watch the chaos ensue if you really want to be mean drop a rubik's cube <laughs> oh no <laughs> there's nothing that's more fun as a dm than dropping like i had this one it was a compass mm -hmm. and the trick to it to get it apart was to spin it like a coin um, Interesting. <laughs> it's like all one solid metal piece, and people they're looking at it, they're grabbing, they're pulling on it, and like, oh my god, like fifteen minutes of pure joy from watching people just like oh, struggle, interacting oh, yeah. with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's that's my sense of humor, though. I like to make people um, just a little uncomfortable in just the most innocent <laughs> ways possible. At the same time, though, this could be a good way to, like, extend the campaign if you need to buy yourself more time, GMs. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, not saying that you're ever unprepared. No, we are not insinuating that no GM is ever prepared. We're, we're not insinuating that GMs improvise things at the top of their hat whatsoever. Everybody's so professional. I, I can't even do it. Listen, sometimes <laughs> sometimes your party takes a hard left and you just need 15 minutes to lay some railroad track down. It's fine. Like, you yeah. gotta do what you gotta do. There you go. My ADHD yeah. brain thinks in a million directions at once. You'll never break free. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other, like, tangible that I am a big fan of, especially as a player... Uh, so I keep journals uh, for specific characters. Ooh. Journals are real. I, I, first of all, I love beautiful like leather journals. Uh, I'm a sucker for dropping about mm. thirty to fifty bucks on a on a pretty journal. And I will like keep track of like the next time we take a long rest. Okay, like what happened since then? And I think it's a really good way for players to get into their character's headspace and kind of see, like, how has this event affected this character? Like, how are they changing? Uh, and it kind of puts you in the spot, like, hey, like, how are they going to react next time something like this happens? Because it's a, it's a really big moment, or it may be something small that just kind of flips things on that character. Like, they have this realization, like, oh, wow, actually, I've never looked at it that way before. I'm going to have to implement journals in the next campaign that I do. I mean, I thought about it anyway, because the campaign that I want to construct is very book heavy. Like mm -hmm. it's going to be mm -hmm. taking place in basically a celestial university. So Ooh, there's nice. going to be like a library with like all kinds of journals and books and archives and things. By, by no means am I telling your players to go out and spend uh, a lot of money on a, on a journal. You can just as easily keep a journal in Google Docs, but I find, as an artifacting GM, I find the physical journal very satisfying. No, I get it. Um, but again, I'm one of those people that likes to make things, and there's there's been times where I'm like, I'll just make a journal and mm -hmm. do it that way. <laughs> Kelsey, that campaign idea sounds divine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I thought we put an end to this. <laughs> I thought we stopped this. I thought we were done. You will never stop me. <laughs> Wind it back up. Here we go, people. Yes. If your card's not filled in yet, get ready. Get, to, to get ready to fill out your bingo if you haven't called bingo yet. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so I think, to me, uh, we've, we've gone down a lot of different, like, tangibles and things uh kind of to tie back to our first episode we talked about how the gm's kind of the stage manager so obviously like the characters the actors uh i think these tangibles kind of play the role of like set dressing and props right uh they're not yeah. they're not always necessary 
but when you have them, it really draws you into the world a little bit further. You know, I'm so glad that you brought that up because as somebody who is getting back into stage musicals and musical theater, like uh, there's a lot of musical theater that like they pantomime things like you don't even necessarily need shovels for this particular musical bit. You can just pantomime that you are shoveling something and, you know, it's theater. You can just theater of the mind, imagine it and like at least like in theater and D and D you can get away with stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And an important thing to remember in, in that vein is that props and set dressing aren't necessary to put on a show and they're not necessary to put on a good show, but it's a hell of a lot easier with them around. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So don't, feel bad if you don't have maps you can do it but it's going to be a lot easier on you if you put in a little bit of time and get a map and some props even if it's not great but what if you put together something like in an episode of critical role where they put together this thing but then the fog machine didn't work what do you do then uh give up <laughs> if you're critical role you get onto your tech team and make them make them fix it blame it on zachary i don't even know if there's a zachary that works there <laughs> you just went straight into like what if my fog machine doesn't work I, my first thought was like boo <laughs> boo i'm so sorry that your fancy ass fog machine didn't work but to a less pretentious example there was one time that i was running a session and the base on my owlbear just broke off oh no and i was like oh no i can't stand the owlbear up uh theater of the mind this owlbear is standing it's just going to lay on its side for a little bit but theater of the mind everybody just taking a little nap he's tired (laughs) give him a break guys this is exhausting combat Can I give, like, one more just, like, random, like, hey, if you're having problems with this, you should do this instead. Like, I, I love those. Yeah, yeah go yeah. for it. Bring some, for sure. bring some Play-Doh. Like, you don't have to yes. let anyone know that you have Play-Doh, but, like, my first thought was, like, my owlbear fell over. I was like, just throw some Play-Doh on its feet, you know? Like, bring some Play-Doh. <laughs> I learned that from a good friend of mine. Bring some Play-Doh. It's not just for kids. It's for nerds, too. I'm going to have to give that That's a try, not going to lie. Yeah, just whatever Play-Doh you want. Whatever color. World's your yeah. oyster. Grab some Play-Doh. Don't eat it. It's whatever <laughs> flavor it of Play-Doh. It says edible, but you shouldn't eat it. So just, you know. It, it smells so good, though. <laughs> it's just a little salty. It's fine. <laughs> the smell is the nostalgia. It's not the taste. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> so... Now that we've all given a lot of thoughts, very wide-ranging, let's narrow it down. Uh, I, I think three topics is good. So let's talk about maps, minis, and props. Okay. What is the best piece of advice that we can come up with? Just try to keep it to one to two sentences for maps, for minis, and for props if we're talking to a new GM. Like one after another? Two, three sentences for each? Yeah. So, I, you know, for maps, it doesn't have to look great, and it can be whatever you want it to be, mm-hmm. I think, is, is what I would boil it down to. Yeah, um, if I can throw something out there. If you're one of those dice goblins who just hoards dice, use them in place of minis. They have numbers. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> just roll it to whatever number that you need. Boom, there you go. For maps? Don't use a permanent surface. And what I mean by that is if it's the glass coffee table that you have or table or whatever, then use that or a whiteboard or a battle mat or whatever you can use a uh, Expo marker on. You're just going to go through a lot of paper. Just use something not permanent. Man, I would, for maps, I would probably have to say, like, use it to inform your world. Uh, Again, it doesn't have to be a masterpiece. It doesn't have to be uh, beautiful, but let it help tell part of your story. Uh, And if you're playing in a situation where you can't necessarily make a map or have minis out or anything like that, practice describing things. And if you have a hard time coming up with, with descriptions on the spot, 
write it out ahead of time if you need to. There's also an app or a website out there that has descriptors for you, like already typed up and everything, and you can just pick your highlights. Uh, the nice. Dungeon Coach mentioned this in an episode. Uh, that'll be linked in the, the reference notes down below in the comment section of this episode. Or DM us on Twitter, and we'll get back to you in three to five business days. <laughs> So for maps, just putting it all together, this is what I came up with. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be permanent. It just has to be. If you're going to have a map, just put it on the table, whatever you've come up with. And I guarantee you, your players will be able to figure it out pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So now let's talk about minis. Um, up front, anything can be a mini. We've already talked about dice. You know, if you have six enemies have 66, all of them on a different number. Yep. You know, that takes place of your minis. Um, my, I guess, what do you call them? Like your progenitor DM, the one that brought me into the tabletop gaming scene, my first GM, uh, his name is Josh. He just prints out little tiny printouts of the characters, folds them in half, and puts them on a penny. And they stand on their own. And they're wonderful. He's so smart. He's amazing. Josh, if you're listening to this, I love you, buddy. I miss playing with Josh. You're a smart guy, Josh. Any Josh out there, you're. Sm I'm assuming that you, know you are smart. Yeah, if you're a Josh out there, if you're Josh and you're listening to this, you're a, you're a genius. And, and I have strong feelings for you. Positive feelings. Except for you, specific Josh. <laughs> You know who you are. You know who you are. You're hex-loving Josh. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not that Josh. Not that Josh. <laughs> that Josh from the Sarah Dessen books. I'm sure mm. there's one. Or three. <laughs> so about minis. For minis, I would say this is my thing, right? Pull from all your other hobbies. Like, here's the thing. I do a lot of wargaming, and I have mm -hmm. literally hundreds of minis just from like, oh, I'm going to buy this expansion. It's 20 bucks. I don't play Warhammer. Don't you dare accuse me of playing Warhammer. I was going to say, I was like, and <laughs> here he comes, dragging space marines. No, you, no, <laughs> no. Get out of here. <laughs> anyway, so um, oh, man. I have like a little battalion of uh, of like Japanese soldiers, like spearmen and archers, and like a couple <laughs> samurai, and I have um, some ninjas painted like the Power Rangers, and I love them, and they're they're so good. They look good on good on a table. Like just paint on your table looks good. That's my advice. I also think the advice of pull from your other hobbies because I have so many dinosaur miniatures for reasons. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not here to judge. <laughs> I am, and I'm judging you. Nicely, I hope. Uh huh. <laughs> listen, listen. Dinosaurs and giant robots are great, and if you don't like it, you can take a hike. You, you strange hex-loving people. <laughs> <laughs> so. For for maps, we have it doesn't have to be pretty or permanent. It just has to be. For minis, we have anything can be a mini. Pull from your other hobbies and add some color. What do we think about props? I think we'll start with you, Joe, our resident prop master. Man, uh, so you you don't have to, like, go and drop, like, a ton of money to artifact paper. Uh, literally, you can go and get, like, some half-decent, like, paper that you would print, like, a diploma out on or a resume just rough up the edges and paint it in like tea or coffee. You don't have to buy super fancy paper. Just use that, use a regular ink pen. Uh, if you're worried about it looking like rumpled and stuff, wad it up and stick it in your pocket. Like, because that's the thing is like, it's an artifact. So it's gonna have been carried around and beaten up by somebody else in the world. <laughs> Speaking as an artist, don't buy the fancy papers. Don't make my mistake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I don't think any player is going to, like, call you out at the table for, like, actually, if this is based off of mid-century France, the paper would be green. Like, yes, I don't, I don't see, think any player would actually green? be made from cotton and not linen because I was like, oh boy, here we go. 
That guy hangs out with the rules lawyer at lunch, by the way. Yeah, that guy hangs out with the dude that has the smoke machine. Well, thankfully there's magic. So, you know, you can get that going for us. And that is why you don't play the Adventurers League. Anyways. He can make those cracks at Adventurers League because it, it's not open yet. So, uh... <laughs> what are you gonna do about it? Congregate? The fuck out of here! <laughs> oh, just wait until COVID restrictions are lifted, Hunter. They're gonna come for you. Well, he lives in Texas, so they were never really there. <gasps> oh, it's true story. Oh. It's true story. So, any other words on props? Yeah, here we go. This is the thing about D and D. Your players expect a fantasy setting, so they make fantasy assumptions, right? If I tell you, if we're playing D&D, and I say, like, oh, they pull out their weapon, do I imagine a, like, soldier who is in Afghanistan pulling out, like, an M16 or something? Like, no, it's a knight with a sword, right? Mm -hmm. So when you grab your prop and you go to Walmart and you're looking at things, and, like, all those things look like they belong in Walmart. Just keep an open mind, because your players are going to make assumptions. Once you pull it away from where you have it, you might have you might find that you have a really cool piece of, like, prop. That's actually pretty yeah. solid. Yeah, um, beat that. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> so, um, this is what we have yeah. for... Sorry, go ahead, Kelsey. No, I was I was just going to reiterate the whole... Um, if you're going to be, like, passing notes back and forth or making... Or drawing maps for... If for godforsaken reason you draw a map on paper with a pen, that's fine. And, it, you know, try to keep maps dry erase as much as you can. But if you have to make a little scroll or whatever, you don't have to do any fancy paper, like... Theater of the imagination, y'all. You don't have to get the fancy papers. Again, don't make my mistake. <laughs> also, pins at D&D, you monster. You know, they're probably the same people who use hex grids. I believe it. Can you please <laughs> just, just not? Just not. So, I bet Sarah Dessen uses hex grids. No, she's got to be. We'll find out when we hire her to play a game for us, to DM the game for us. I mean, if we're if we're playing Passion de los Passions or uh, Monster Hearts, we don't need a grid. That's that's beside the point. So we've narrowed it down. Maps, minis, and props are the three big tactile things that we can use in any TTRPG. Mm -hmm. um, for maps, it doesn't have to be pretty or permanent. It just has to be. If you're going to use it, just do what you can. It is what you make it. For minis. Anything can be a mini, from dice to scraps of paper to, I don't know, grains of rice, whatever you want to do. Pull from other hobbies if you have it, add some color when you can. And then with props, you don't need to spend a ton of money, make it within your means, and keep it topical when you can. Yeah. All agreed? Absolutely. All agreed. I do feel the need to mention, though, that if we ever... Do play a game that is primarily like romantic comedy or romantic drama. We should have triangle maps because love triangles. Ooh, you make so much sense, but you also stress me out. You're also in, you're also in charge of drawing that battle map, by the way. Uh, you just take a hex and divide it in half. I was gonna say, what is a hexagon if not a collection of triangles? Uh. For that matter, what is any geometric shape if not a collection of triangles? A circle. Like a circle? <laughs> yeah, get wrecked. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you draw a perfect circle. <sighs> Anyways, Nick, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, where can we find you on the internet? On the internet, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at mblog collective. I have a website called mblogcollective.com. On a really weird space creatively, though, so you'll have to look at stuff that I've already made, because I haven't made much stuff recently. I'm sorry. All right, lovely. Well, thank you again for joining us. If you want to find the podcast or any of uh, the three hosts' information, you can find us on Twitter at the fourth leg, or if you want to contact us another way, you can uh, email us at the fourth leg pod at gmail.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Think anything. <laughs> <laughs>
That's the last one that no one said yet. Thank you for listening to The Fourth Leg, a show all about giving new GMs a leg to stand on. You can find Kelsey at Duncan Theo on Twitter and at Kelsey, K-E-L-C-I-D Crawford.com. You can find Joe at JCD0818. And you can find me, Hunter, at Skunkosaurus, S-K-U-N-K-O-S-O-U-R-O-U-S. To get in contact with us about the show or to leave us any questions, reach out to at the fourth leg on Twitter or email the fourth leg pod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. I think from now on, I shall identify as a cis hex white man. Thank you. <laughs>